Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in their everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Have you ever noticed it is the most normal, the most ordinary, the most seemingly unimportant happenings in your life that sometimes usher in the greatest impact? Taylor and I were just exploring the same idea with the situation that happened in her life. I didn't even remember it. It had made a lasting and meaningful impact on her. She had watched a precious elderly woman collapse on the stage at our church, and then she observed the response. Most people were sort of paralyzed during the incident and didn't really know what to do, or they just simply waited for someone else to do something and looked around. These were nice, caring people, she remembered, but in the heat of the moment, sort of became worthless in the situation, and she did not want to find herself in that camp. That little eight-year-old girl had that memory, kept it tucked away, made decisions in the next several years that shaped her future so that she starts medical school in the fall. Maybe you have had an experience like that. For me, it was my first required course in graduate school that totally changed the trajectory of my life. Ironically, I was in this course that the name escapes me. I don't know what it was. It was called research and something other. We, we had to take it the first semester. I don't really remember the rest. The rest didn't really matter. The important part was that it landed me in the library days on end and opened up a world that I have loved ever since. It was there. I learned how to locate, read, interpret information, and all sorts of things in order to turn it around so that other people could understand it. And when all of my peers were moaning about having to generate this semester-long thesis, I was having a ball. Toward the end of the course, our professor suggested if anyone enjoyed the process, we should talk to our major professors, those who were overseeing our field of study, that they often needed assistance with research. While that suggestion fell on deaf ears throughout the room, I looked at my paper and I took it a few days later to my professor's office one afternoon and I did exactly that. And I was trembling out of intimidation of this woman. This woman was very accomplished in her field and in a little mousy voice, I squeaked out how I had really enjoyed the work and if she ever had a project, I was happy to help. Well, she must not have heard that from students often because... Mousy or not, within a few weeks, I had a new desk, a scholarship, and a job (laughs) being her research assistant that took me through the next years of my graduate work. Being up close and personal to the work and the life of this scholarly woman and mentor awakened desires in me I didn't even know I possessed. Without my exposure to her, and the experience gained in those short years, I would not be where I am today. I went on to get a PhD after that in the same field of study. And within a decade, I was back in that department where I began teaching my own graduate classes. It was all because my taste for something I didn't even know was so essential and life-giving for me was aroused. And that's sort of how we find God at work in the Bible. 
there's a verse in Psalm 34, you probably are familiar with it. It's Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Just like hanging out with my boss, tasting all the ins and outs of how to research and what it was like to be a professor and a scholar, helped me discover a love for what I didn't know was possible. God does something like this with the Bible and the time we spend with Him. He shows us who He is through stories in the Old Testament that reveal His character that does not change. We can walk through the dramatic storyline of the patriarchs all the way to Egypt where He shows Himself to be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-faithful, able to deliver on His promises in a miraculous way. God caused these people to taste of His provision and see his deliverance in all sorts of inexplainable situations that they would never have thought possible. But we find them in the desert about six weeks away from crossing the Red Sea on dry land, unfaithful and ready to bolt with a different God and leader of their own choosing. Well, instead of smiting them all, God declares who he is in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before them and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These people were pretty much a handful of disappointment and faithlessness for the next 40 years between deliverance and the promised land. And for you and I, and you and I are really too much like them. But don't let that be a discouragement. Our lack does not influence God's fullness. His character remains unchanged. That's why there's not just one story or one account or one example. Take Nehemiah. Several hundred years down the line, more generations had tasted and seen, and God had been so good. He had been completely faithful to every promise through kings and kingdoms, always the same, never leaving his chosen ones alone. For he had made promises for a hope and a future. It was written all over the prophets and the Psalms. God was going to restore a remnant because he was working his plan for salvation with creation and eternity in sight. Nehemiah is so perfect for us because he's really got nothing more than you and I. Nothing but hearsay. An old book that is not relevant to the current society in which he lived and tall tales of a faithful God. No real evidence. No Holy Spirit within. No Messiah to see. No miracles. Nothing but captivity, depravity, and a lot of hopelessness. And he has a life-altering encounter, like the class I can't remember the name of, and the fallen woman on the stage that shaped the trajectory of a little girl compassion. Nehemiah 1 shows us this about his life. Now it happened in the month of Shizlev in the 20th year as I was in Susa the citadel that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This seemingly impersonal newsflash left a mark on this man he could not shake. And it was on purpose. Let me ask you something. Is there anything that's left such an impression that seemed insignificant, too far-fetched for you to make a difference, out of your league or uncomfortable that you left it unaddressed, unpursued, stuck in a drawer, thinking, it's probably just me. <laughs> I'm just making it up. Too crazy. I'm not qualified. That's too big. It could never be done. My spouse is never going to go for that. I'm just making stuff up. Hold up. Consider 
what Nehemiah did next. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. And then he's going to go on with this prayer. First of all, can you hear it? Nehemiah has tasted. We don't know how or when or what possessed him to do so, but he knew enough to believe who God was and what he could do. What about you? Think about what you might have stuck back in a drawer somewhere pushed to the back of your mind as insanity. When was the last time you prayed about it? Like Nehemiah, who sat down and wept and mourned and continued fasting and praying, declaring God's character, asking him to be attentive. Have you done it? that way? Have you asked him with that kind of passion, really, truly wanting to know and laid it all out on the table because the trajectory of your life depends on it? Or have you just toyed with the possibilities, dismissed them as crazy, and God is likely unable and unwilling to do that, and moved on secretly thinking that he's not faithful to you? Maybe there is something to the heart and the actions of Nehemiah in the tasting Maybe you and I need to pray differently. You see, we don't have any biblical evidence up to this point that Nehemiah had seen God move in any real or miraculous ways. He's just praying like crazy and fasting. Oh, he tasted. Somehow he tasted enough to be in this position, to put himself in a place where he believed God would act and that he would see. He allowed his own satisfaction in what he had yet tasted of God's character and what he had done in the past and of what God had promised to do in the future to impact his activity. So sensing a need in his own time that needed to be impacted, Nehemiah called upon God to be true to his character and that he might see him do impossible feats as he knew that he could do in the past, even in spite of human failings. This is what he said in chapter 9, verse 17. They, in talking about the people in the past he's only read about, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. So now he asks, because he knows this and he believes it, he asks this in chapter 2. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I pray to the God of heaven. He's already done all that other praying. He's ready. But now he's in the heat of the moment. He's got nothing. He's relying completely on the Lord. And he said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. I just wonder if there was any hesitation like I just did in his, in his words. Don't you? I just wonder how he said it. From that moment on, Nehemiah goes on the journey of a lifetime. He rebuilds the wall. He defeats enemies within 
they're like holding a sword on one side while they're building with the other, a hammer and the other, whatever. He governs a city. He leads the people. He helps them with finances, negotiations, their overall well-being he cares for, and he helps them in following the Lord faithfully. He is a great leader. This man who is a lowly captive, cupbearer to the king. That's all he is. How is he able to do all this? Well, he's been a lowly captive and cupbearer to the king. That's how. The very things that should have shut him out of this position. That's what he is. God had strategically placed him to have access to the king and queen with a good relationship with them, where he had been exposed to all the inner workings of diplomacy, of government, and kingdom operations. Honestly, he, more than just about anyone, would have been more fit for the job. Nehemiah saw that the Lord is good. He saw it because he had first tasted his goodness. He paid attention to God's character in the scriptures. He paid attention as his family talked about it, as they walked about and remembered who he was. He knew the history of God and his workings among the people, and he believed it. These enabled him to feel a compelling compassion for his people at just the right time for God to move in his life. If you don't have this in place, you can't see God move. We must first taste. He did not shrink back because of his circumstances or his education or anything in his reality and allow these to stand in his way from moving forward and out in whatever crazy dream or action or pursuit God was calling him to, because it would have sounded crazy. Instead, he prayed, he fasted, he wept, he prayed some more, but he tasted first. And rightly so, because God was right. Nehemiah was indeed the man for the moment in that situation, in that role, He's given favor. He's financially equipped by the court to go back. He's equipped with the savvy in all the ways we mentioned earlier. And he had access. Was there opposition? Yes. And lots of it. Did he have problems? You bet. You know, our problem is that we don't want to actually take possession of what God has given us to possess. We want possession like if you just hand me a gift bag and I just take the present out. That's how we want to take possession of what we've been given easy peasy. But it just doesn't work that way. Not with God. It's not the way it worked in the history of God's people. And when it came to Jesus too, much more was required of him. If we just look to him, why do I get so upset when more is required and that suffering is required on my part for my own trek towards taking possession of what God has given me? This is something I was really thinking about this morning. I found it so relevant, and it was out of a sermon that I read from 1885. He said, Shall Jesus ascend to his throne by the cross? And do we expect to be carried there on the shoulders of applauding crowds? As if to say, Jesus had to suffer tremendous pain to get to the promised land, per se to get the reward and to do what God called him to do. And do I expect to get there by applause and ease? I do. And and it's all over social media. This is sort of where we are today. And it's even in some of our churches. We are not into this plight of suffering and we think it's going to be without problems. But that's not the way it works. It's just not. May it not be with us. We need to look to Jesus for the example taking possession, taking that leap, 
to head out into whatever God is calling us into is not going to be like watching a sporting event, like we're on the sidelines and just a spectator. It's all out war. And we are in our own personal battle and we're on the offensive side. The goal is to take the field the enemy is standing on because he knows that this is the very spot God has given you. He's not going to move over just because God gave it to you. The instructions are for you and I to take possession, not accept a handout. It's likely going to be harder than you expected with more discouraging episodes than you care to count and a few crying fits of doubt. And that's at a minimum. Suffering is going to be included. Let me tell you what I'm telling myself in this pursuit. Quit your sorry self. (laughs) Quit your sorry self and go instead taste and see that the Lord is good. He does not change. He is indeed good. And your God has plans and experiences you cannot possibly imagine that he has set aside in store for you. May we take seriously this example to pray like crazy to weep over whatever it is he's called us to, to fast, to pray some more. Tasting of his character, remembering his faithfulness, and trusting in his promises to ask him to hear us and enable us to do whatever he's calling us to do. Thank you for being with me today. I am excited to be back again. Don't forget to leave a comment. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Share it if you don't mind. That's the only way we get found by other people. Be thinking about changing the name to Stirring Faith. And that will be coming in the next several weeks. Have a great week and I'll see you next time. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful and encouraging. You might get an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram or leave us a review about the podcast. For more truth-saturated and gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir desire for God into your everyday life.